Hello and welcome to Women Who Protect, a monthly series as part of the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We will hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and also seek their advice for women and girls who might be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, as the chief research psychologist at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector, providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field. And I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing with you the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to consider joining our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Janet Lawless is CEO and founder of Center for Threat Intelligence, a cutting-edge consulting, assessments, training, and certification program for certified threat intelligence specialist certification. In former leadership roles at Microsoft and at Cisco, Janet created and managed global programs focused on compliance and security. In addition, she was the vice president of sales at a cybersecurity startup and brings a wealth of knowledge in cybersecurity services. Janet is a member of InfraGuard, a partnership between the FBI and members of the private sector, also a member of the United States Secret Service Cyber Fraud Task Force, and a member of the Washington State Fusion Center. She volunteers for the American Red Cross and Community Emergency Response Team. Janet also founded PCs to Vets and has provided over 1,000 laptops to veterans. Janet, welcome to Women Who Protect. Thank you, Marisa. It's a pleasure to be here and truly an honor. So thank you so much. So I want to start at the beginning. I, I've read your bio, gone through your um, your experience on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you directly for our listeners. Tell me what it is you do right now with the company that you've stood up. And then I want to go backward a bit about how you got there. No, certainly. So Center for Threat Intelligence, I'm the CEO and the founder. And so what we do is we develop threat intelligence programs and insider threat programs. We also have training for, it's not the traditional intelligence training. We are training the trade craft of intelligence, which is a a very basic and very important part of threat intelligence. Um, In addition to that, um, the training, I also have created a certification for threat intelligence um, people as well. So that's what we do. We do also in assessments, which are just a little different than the usual threat intelligence, which we are looking at what adversaries are actually after you, what their focus is, what their capabilities are, and those types of things, and understanding who your adversaries are so then you can address them more effectively. And that's what we do. So who's the the typical client that you work for? Is it individuals, companies? Who do you support? It is a wide range of people, but it's mostly corporations, 
um, one of my larger companies is actually an organization, which is the University of Washington. They have um, they started out with two threat intelligence people and the chief information security officer at the time thought this was very important and sent his people through all of our classes. And I'm happy to say, and we also did an enterprise assessment for them as well. What was really funny is I called them during COVID and I said, by the way, I said, you know, we did the assessment. You've gone through all the classes. I said, you know, did, did, did this work for you? Is this something that you're using? And the guy said, you're kidding, right? Well, now, as you know, this can go either way, right? <laughs> so exactly. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, okay. I said, what do you mean? And he said, I didn't call you back a couple of weeks ago because we were busy stopping a nation state from attacking our network. He said, they were attacking us so often, Janet, that we just finally said, okay, stop. We've had Center for Threat Intelligence training. We're not using the processes. Let's just stop go back and actually put the processes together and stop these uh, these people. And they did. And he said, so far, we've used your training. We use the assessment all the time. He said, we've stopped them five times. And that was amazing because, again, it was a two-person team. They've now built it up to four or five people. And they're stopping nation states. So this stuff really works. And they're one of our biggest clients and biggest success stories. And others are obviously corporations and, and, you know, usually not small, small, small organizations, but I'm working on it. (laughs) So I want to dig into this a little bit because for listeners who don't understand what threat intelligence is, tell me a bit about what so in the example you just gave, what are they looking for? They know they're under attack. Is this like a like a DDoS attack? Is it a cyber attack? Is it are people trying to access their information systems? Is it reputational? Like what what are they what what are who who are attacking them, as you were saying, a nation state and and to what gain? Can can you share that with us? Yes, absolutely. Um I won't share the nation state. Um they've asked me not to do that. Uh, However, so what threat intelligence is, is it is a combination and a holistic approach to every way an adversary may attack an organization. So it's not just cyber, it's cyber, it is human, so it is possibly insider threat, it is physical, it is technical, it is all different ways an adversary would attack an organization and then putting that all together and looking at it from it's it's a big puzzle putting it all together and say hey you know what somebody has been attacking us from a network perspective and it's like hey yeah and you know what we have this sense that there's some insider um, things going on and somebody tried to break into this building and it's putting it all together and saying these are the sophisticated you know actors such as a nation state or It could just be an insider that is a disgruntled insider. So threat intelligence encompasses all of those different realms to be put together and determine who the threat is or what the threat is, who's doing it, and being able to anticipate it and to stop it before it happens. So that is what I call threat intelligence. It's understanding everything, the information, the signposts, making sense out of it, and then stopping it. How did you get into this field in the first place? Because this is, it's a fascinating line of work. How how did you come upon it, find yourself in it, and then create a company? As we mentioned before, it's like I have a very different background. So my background is, 
I have a master's degree in education. And so when dinosaurs ruled the earth, I was actually a learning <laughs> handicap teacher. <laughs> I remember that period of time. <laughs> yeah. So I've always been like this. When someone said, said to me, you can't do this or you'll never do this. I've always said, hmm, I can do that. I'm smart enough to do that. I can figure this out. And so from a teacher, I got into the technical field and then just started looking at things that I was interested and passionate about and found myself in front of people that were executives of companies or just turned and said, hey, you know, I think I'd like to find out more about that and networked and found that, you know, I could easily get there from here, if you will. So in my background, you know, fast forward when I was at Microsoft and I was doing a fraud company, I had my own fraud company um, prior to Microsoft. And again, I was networking and one of my friends called and said, hey, there's this compliance security thing at Microsoft and I think you'd be you know, qualified to do it. And I'm like, okay. So I interviewed at Microsoft and um, I talked about compliance and Sarbanes-Oxley and fraud and all sorts of fun things. And I got the job and, and my manager said, you know, she said, one of the reasons you got the job is because we didn't have any idea what you were talking about, but you sounded really good. So you're in. Oh, I love it. <laughs> what a great story. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. And then what I found is that I have fallen into jobs again, looking at the technical standpoint. I mean, for example, when I left Microsoft, I was deciding what I wanted to do when I grew up. So another true story. So I actually said, okay, I'm going to go take a nap. And whatever I think of, the first thing I think of when I get up, that's what I'm going to do. So I woke up and I said to myself, veterans need laptops. And I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, but my God. <laughs> I know. I promised myself that I was going to do whatever I woke up and said I was going to do. So I started calling veterans organizations, knowing that this wasn't going to be my career. But I love volunteering and helping people. So I called veterans organizations and I said, do you need laptops? And they said, yes. How many do you have? And I said, well, I don't have any. And they said, why are you calling us? <laughs> <laughs> I was just calling to ask. I said, I'm trying to figure out the need here. So I went to um, some friends and one of them was at Cisco. And um, I said, look, you are a veteran. Veterans need laptops. Do you guys have any used laptops I can have? Um, and we talked for a while. And he said, I don't have any used laptops. He said, but I have a job. And my response to this man was, well, you know, that's all well and fine, but I really need laptops right now. And he said, Janet, I have a job for you. And I said, and that's fine, but do you have any laptops? <laughs> So it ended up that he did have a job. I did get hired and I didn't get any laptops from him. I got them from somebody else later on. So it's, you can move forward just by networking. And I have kind of fallen into jobs. When I um, left Cisco, I was really interested in working for a cybersecurity company. So I went and I, it took me a month to find, um, finally get an appointment with the president of a cybersecurity company. And um, so we went and had lunch and I was hoping to actually just partner with him at first. So we had lunch and I explained what I was doing and he explained what he was doing. And he basically said, you know, we have no reason to partner with you. And I looked at my salad in front of me and I thought, well, I'm going to eat my salad and we'll just have a continue to have a conversation. 
So at the end of the conversation, he said, you know what? I have an opening for a vice president of sales in cybersecurity. Would you be interested in doing that? And I thought, yes, because I was trying to figure out how to segue the conversation into, do you have any openings? And suddenly I was in a cybersecurity company and they did manage security. So I learned so much about cybersecurity, which I also had learned, obviously, at Microsoft and Cisco. Uh, but it was just one of those things where it just you just keep moving toward, you know, your passion and what you're interested in. And suddenly, again, I had a job at a cybersecurity company. Then when I um, left that job, um, they were a startup. And so they were kind of slow to startup. So I left that position. And one of my friends in threat intelligence um, said, oh, why don't you start a threat intelligence company? And I said, well, I can certainly start a, a threat intelligence company. I said, I know nothing about threat intelligence. And, and he goes, well, that's okay. And I said, well, who's going to do the consulting? And he said, I will. And I said, okay. I said, who's going to do the training? And he said, I will. And I said, okay. I said, before I do this, I want to go out to people who are in the threat intelligence industry and find out if this is something I should do. So I sat down with a number of different people and they're, they're all advisors on my website with very impressive backgrounds. I mean, name an agency, NSA, CIA, um, you know, Homeland mm -hmm. Security, et cetera, et cetera. And um, as I sat down with these advisors, I said, you know, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, this is what we're going to do. These are the products and, you know, talk to them without even asking. They would say, I want to be an advisor. Oh, and, nice. And, I mean, these impressive backgrounds. And I told them, I said, well, that's actually why I'm here. But do you think you could wait until I asked? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, yes. And then immediately I said, would you, would you please be an advisor for me? And they're, they're like, absolutely. So just you know, just going out and talking to people and having a need because no other company that I found at the time did tradecraft training, um, the way we're doing it, the assessments, again, the way we're doing it and our focus. Um, and bingo, it's like I was in business and I had a bunch of support and awesome training and it was great. And I learned by doing and redoing all of the slides for the training, because one of my trainers is a former Green Beret. And so he did a lot of military slides. And if you're from the military, you know, that's like 25 points on each slide and you can barely read them. <laughs> yes. So being from large corporations, I changed to add pictures and, and you know, five point bullets and, and things like that. So having to do it and then sitting through all the classes, you know, a lot, because I went to every class suddenly I'm in threat intelligence. And there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. I, it, this is a field that I've been hearing more and more about over the past couple of years, but but it's had different aspects of it have, have been sort of focal point within federal law enforcement, within the intelligence community, within the military, but but sometimes gone by different names. And, and so the, you know, the field I come from is threat assessment and threat management from a, you know, is, is this particular person, this person of interest going to pose a threat of, of usually of physical violence, but you can also use the same principles for, for sabotage and, and cyber sabotage. Looking at an, an individual, what I've seen a tremendous growth in is it sounds like what you're describing of looking at all these possible external threats. So, uh, you know, whether it's 
nation states or um, adverse reputational hits or, um, you know, probing different systems, looking for access. There's so much now that organizations need to be aware of. And I think what I've seen is, at least on, on my end of this field, oftentimes seen paralysis in terms of organizations may feel overwhelmed that they don't even know where to start. Like, how do I begin to even look at the adverse intelligence that may be out there about my organization? And then once I start to find it, what do I do with it? So do you help organizations from from that very first starting point? And, and, and how do you help them with this? Yes, absolutely. So this is where we go in and do the enterprise threat intelligence assessment. And so again, this is going in and talking to the different departments within an organization from a consulting standpoint, understanding you know what's important to them, what their assets are, and then um, putting it together with you know, looking at, okay, who is actually after or interested in those assets? Is it a nation state? Is it organized crime? Um, is it their competitors? Um, so that is one of the big things to start, <clears throat> excuse me, to start out with and get that information right off the bat and get that baseline. And then from there, once they have that baseline, then we can start educating their entire organization, which is absolutely key. Because I think what we see too often is that we organizations look at it from a tactical standpoint. Threat intelligence is over there. You know, it could be like cyber, it could be physical security, um, and everyone's all separated. And those are the silos that adversaries will take advantage of. So what we're doing is we'll do the baseline, then we come in and we start educating everyone in the organization, including obviously the, you know, the threat intelligence teams, and we can build those threat intelligence teams for people as well. But we're training everyone. So when it says, you know, who should go to this training, it is truly everyone needs to be aware of how adversaries attack, what their strategies and tactics are, so that if you see something, remember when they had the see something, say something, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty much the same. And if you have everyone trained in your organization, just as an awareness factor, then suddenly you'll realize it's like, wait a minute, this is just kind of odd. And it's the intuition of your entire employee, um, you know, the, or all of your people that you can go through and say, you know, now you have all of these people looking and watching, not in a negative sense, but in a holistic sense and in a positive sense. Because especially when we're talking about insiders, I, we want to keep it very, very um, positive. So anyway, so that's what we'll do. We'll do the assessments, get a baseline, help them with the training for their entire organization, teach them how to communicate with each other. We have frameworks that we work with them on and then get that threat intelligence program up and running and also insider threat programs. Oh, that's great. What it sounds like in part that you are trying to help these organizations build is almost a a security aware culture or climate where you're sort of building into everybody, as you're saying, not just your threat intelligence team, but, but everyone within the organization, this idea of like, Hey, if you see something out of the ordinary, pass it along. Is that, A, is that accurate? And and B, what challenges have you seen in in trying to to build that culture where people pass along information, but but at the same time don't feel like they are, you know, big brother watching over their coworkers? How how do you do that? 
Well, it's building up a culture of trust. And it has to be from a positive perspective. Because a lot of, let's say, insider threat programs, a lot of um, companies will have technical insider threat programs that will watch behaviors and, and then you know you go and you do an investigation and those types of things. And those are the things that if it it can turn out to be or feel like big brother. So it's taking the human aspect into it and moving toward like behavioral psychology. We have a class on behavioral psychology of the insider threat. And so with that class, we look at a trusting environment because it's rare that you'll find that a loyal person to your organization is become is going to become a spy or an insider mm-hmm. or you know steal information and take it to a competitor. So it's building that culture of trust, but it's really got to start at the top because if your executives and or your board you know, your executive officers are not in these meetings and they're not taking the training, then it just looks like a checkbox. And one of the things that we strive for is not having the training and threat intelligence just as a checkbox. It's proactive and it's got to be positive. And it's got to be, as you say in the military, left of bang, bang, and right of bang. And so we want to stay left of bang. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In a world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in the security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis for some of the industry's top practitioners. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. You'd mentioned before that information would then be handled by a threat intelligence team. Is that multidisciplinary? Is it primarily security? Who who makes up that team? So a threat intelligence team should be separate from a cybersecurity team or a physical security team. They are the people who are looking at the past, the present, and anticipating the future. What we found is a lot of times, as an example, cybersecurity gets so busy with constant alerts, and we call it alert fatigue, that they're so tactical. They're, you know, an incident happens and they're, they're going after the incident, they're trying to shut it down, et cetera. So a threat intelligence team needs to be proactive, preventing and anticipating things. So they're the people who are looking at the entire picture of an organization. Again, so you're looking at human resources, at legal, at, you know, and bringing all of these people to bear. So if something happens within an um, organization or a department, you can say, well, wait a minute, there was a cybersecurity incident six months ago that we know about. And now it seems like they're still on the network because now they're sending physical people in or there's something else happening. So the team should be working with all of the security teams but not they're not the security team. They are a specific threat intelligence team. It's interesting because in looking at uh, one of the 
projects I was part of when I was with the U.S. Secret Service was running a, a study on insider threats to critical infrastructure sectors. And oftentimes, what we saw was sort of a mismatch that when you talk about insider threat, sometimes people in security and cybersecurity will think of it as someone who is a malicious actor from the get-go and they apply for a job with intent to do harm to the organization or steal information, whatever the case may be. But in reality, actually looking at that, yes, those incidents occur, but at the same time, you often have incidents where there is a person who was a high-functioning employee, a, a trusted insider, and they were trustworthy. They were in their jobs and, and came upon difficult circumstances in their personal life, uh, financial stress, um, you know, disagreement with their supervisors, whatever the case may be, and started to get a real distaste about the organization or looked to the organization as I'm, I'm in financial stress. I can steal information and sell it outside, for example, to, to help. So they were, they often engaged in malicious insider activity as a result of personal problems and struggles they were facing and they weren't able to handle well. So as you talked about this threat intelligence team, it's different from just having cybersecurity or physical security that to have legal, to have HR can really help with that addressing problems that trusted insiders and trustworthy insiders may actually be facing to keep them from becoming an insider threat or to help stem that if, if they already are starting to do some damage. Oh, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Um, there is, in one of my presentations, I share a story from American Airlines where there was a maintenance worker. They were on strike and he didn't want them to be on strike. So he went out and he went to the tarmac and the gentleman was a maintenance worker and he was not supposed to be on the tarmac. So one, people should have noticed that. Um, he went to the plane and he disabled a critical function to the plane. And everyone got on the plane. There was about 200 passengers. They all got on the plane and uh, the pilot took off and he went, you know, down, heading down the runway and all of a sudden saw this light come on and aborted the takeoff and came back and they looked and they looked at all the security footage and they're like, wow. So they caught the guy um, as he could have killed those 200 people. And his response was, well, I was tired of the strike. I needed my money and we weren't getting the money that we wanted. And I wanted to have the strike over. And gosh, you know, honestly, I didn't think they'd get far, that far down the runway. Oh, wow. And so he didn't think that he was going to cause harm to 200 people. But that's what it was like. It was all about him, if you will. So you're absolutely right. There are malicious people. There are also, you know, the people who don't mean to be insiders, the accidental insider, as I call them. And, and those are the people that will click on something or they'll leave a door open or, you know, there's all sorts of stories on that where they'll move a camera from, you know, the stairwell and somebody gets in the stairwell and it's like, wow, I was smoking in the stairwell and I wasn't supposed to. So I just moved the camera. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. What's the harm in that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they don't realize that it could be, you know, a horrible outcome. And so there are, you know, the different, there's malicious, there's, you know, obviously the accidental, as I call them. And then there are the people who are, you know, not, they are the, the nation states and people who are coming in to actually steal stuff and they know what they're doing. Have you seen, especially I'd say in the, in the past year, changes to 
threat levels or volume of, of adverse intelligence um, during COVID or, or post-COVID? Has that had an impact for the organizations you support at all? I think the, so with COVID, it became a little bit easier for adversaries to, you know, break into the networks and co- coerce people and, you know, those malicious insiders to be more and more. And and people became, you know, probably less diligent of a lot of things. You know, you, when you take your computer home, it's like you're getting on your computer network. Well, you know, do you have a security on your computer network and those types of things? So I think I've we've been seeing more and more of the insider threat as people get more desperate or frustrated. Um, and so I'm seeing more and more about that. Um, and as far as nation states go, uh, there's a great quote that I don't have in front of me, but it's basically that nation states are now using the same tactics and strategies that they've been using for years in wartime and with other nation states. And they're using them these strategies and tactics for large organizations and small organizations. So if you are a target, if you have some sort of technology or product that a nation state wants, you now have, you know, you're a target of a huge nation state with huge resources and you may be like a hundred person company. And so that's what, you know, people are now up against. And a lot of people don't realize, or they just, you know, turn a blind eye and say, no, you know, they wouldn't want my stuff. Right. We're just a small company. It couldn't be us. You know, we're just doing our <laughs> doing our business as best we can. Um, it, it, I would imagine that especially coming sort of post-COVID and, and with geopolitical upheaval in, in different parts of the world, that, that the need for the training that you offer, the tradecraft instruction you offer, the, the enterprise um, threat intelligence assessments that you offered, it, I would imagine that that demand is, is just increasing. Is that is that correct? It is increasing. Because I'm a small company, it's like it's more of getting the word out. So when I speak at, you know, this large organizations I just spoke at, ASIS um, International Conference and different conferences, um, then I do get an influx of people who are very interested and looking to be trained and moving forward with that, which is great. So it'd be, it's just, you know, and doing podcasts like this, just getting the word out. So thank you. Exactly. Um, let me pivot because I do want to talk about, given that this is our Women Who Protect series within the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast, um, it, as a woman, any perspective that you bring that you think might be different from your male counterparts in this field, uh, and then would love to hear your advice on, um, for, for women considering a career in security, what would you encourage them to get into threat intelligence and and what advice would you have? So, yes, thank you for asking. So as far as in the industry, um, it's it's interesting because being in the technology industry for so long, it was mostly, um, you know, a male-dominated roles. And so there were plenty of times I walked into rooms that you know, we were having management meetings or whatever, and I didn't even have to look around. I could say, good morning, gentlemen, and, <laughs> yep. and w- which was fine. And um, it was interesting because I never saw myself as different. And I just looked at it as, you know, we're all here together. We're all a team and we're all moving forward. And so I never thought of, as I mentioned earlier, that I couldn't do anything 
because it was my job and I was going to go out and do it. And so I am not afraid, nor should anyone else listening to this podcast be afraid of talking to anyone, whether it's, you know, just a person on the street or, you know, the executive of, you know, a large company. It's like, I'll talk to them because I look at everyone as something to share and something that is, you know, interesting. And when I go out and I sell, um, quote unquote, sell, it's generally I ask people to have a conversation. And by the end of the conversation, they're usually saying, wow, like at the University of Washington, I mean, I went out to get the gentleman's advice. And at the end of the conversation, he said, can you talk to my team? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and at the end of that conversation, he said, can you meet with my team again and decide what we need? And I'm like, certainly didn't sell any time at all. Um, but anyway, getting back to your question, which, um, you know, what is different? I, again, I never looked at anything as different. It's like you can do it. You can talk to people. You can meet people. Don't let people tell you that you can't. Um, I had an incident where I was um, talking to someone and they said, you would ne- you'll never be able to talk to the, you know, the chief underwriting officer at AIG, you know, one of the biggest insurance companies in the world. And as I was sitting there in his office on Wall Street in New York talking to him, I thought to myself, wow, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> Apparently, I can't do what I'm doing exactly right now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important to have the attitude of I can do this and don't be afraid of it because I also look at it as anyone can talk to anyone and you have something to say to that person that they are going to be interested in. And that's what I think people need to do. Well, people, well, women need to do. And and don't be afraid. It's like if you walk into a meeting and it's all men, so what? You have just as much information as they do and maybe even more. So they need to hear what you are about to say. Um, The other thing that women have to realize is that diversity is so key in threat intelligence and security. So people in general have different perspectives, whether it's cultural or whatever. It's like diversity is very important. We think of things differently and we have different mindset and biases. And it is absolutely critical that we get more people and more women into security and to threat intelligence because we do have a different sense about things. Women tend to have a lot of intuition and that intuition can be critical in situations where it just doesn't seem right. And that's very important. I really want to highlight what you just said, that that diversity is critical to security because it's it's so true, whether you're creating that multidisciplinary threat intelligence team or looking at a, you know, a problem of, of you know, possible actors, threat actors that may be coming from different angles with different reasons, bringing a diversity of experience to that team to look at information, even to think about where can we look for information and then piece it together and figure out what to do about it for mitigation is is so vital. And I'm I'm thrilled that you referenced that and, and really saying diversity is key to security because I, I couldn't agree more. Oh, absolutely. And not being afraid to talk about things and talk about your background and look at from a different perspective. And that's what is absolutely key. Like you just said, it's like, we've, we've got to have that. If you have, a, as an example, if you have a threat intelligence team that is all from the same background, everybody's going to look at it the same way or very similarly. 
if you have a diverse team, which you absolutely need, you're going to have people say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. When I was at the cybersecurity company, you know, I, I knew little about cybersecurity, but they would talk about the product and things like that. And I would say, well, why doesn't it do that? And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, why doesn't it do that? And they were, you know, it was like, well, we never thought of that. And because I didn't have the experience, I was using my own background to say, well, this would be nice and was really helpful. So speak absolutely. If you're meeting these meetings, speak up and make sure that you're being heard. That's important too. And just as you're suggesting, ask questions. You know, even if you think everyone else in the room knows the answer already, it can be really helpful for for people around the table to have to articulate that answer, to have to explain it. So it's helpful because I've, I've often found that if I have a question, at least someone else in the room has the same question, one of us needs to speak up and ask it. So I think it, for security purposes, broadly defined, uh, bringing that diversity and, and that questioning aspect can be so helpful. That is, that is so important. And I always tell people, you know, if I'm having them do a webinar, or a presentation, I'll say, if you're going to use an acronym, say what it means first. Because a lot of times, especially in cybersecurity, they'll throw around acronyms and they don't really know the definition of the acronym, but they'll throw <laughs> it around like it's, like it's just a word. And, and so people will just go, oh, uh-huh. And no one will really know what they're talking about um, because they don't put it in English. So I always say, put it in English first and then use your acronym so people know what you're talking about. I, uh, I, I This is a pet peeve of mine and I'm delighted you raised it because I have sat in... Uh, numerous meetings over the course of my career in federal agencies, intelligence community gatherings, uh, law enforcement at, at federal, state, and local level. Um, and I go crazy when the, when the talk is within acronyms because you don't necessarily, the agencies don't necessarily share the same acronyms and, and it's better to just say it. And I, I really lost my cool once. Uh, I won't name the agency, but uh, I was at a meeting where they had reduced the phrase, see something, say something to call it S4. And they kept talking about S4. I'm like, what is S4? And like, well, it's see something, say something. I'm like, okay, you all have created this iconic phrase that everyone in the U.S. knows, see something, say something. Why are you changing it to S4? This makes no sense. So I, uh, <laughs> I think I completely, completely see your point. And, uh, and I was uh, definitely the um, <laughs> persona non grata for a while at those meetings. So I am absolutely on your side. Good for you. <laughs> Janet, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I have learned so much about the field of, of threat intelligence. Anything that, that we didn't have a chance to cover that, that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, one last thing, and this is very important to me, um, as I mentioned, you know, getting different um, computers for veterans and things like that. I think volunteering and helping people is really important. And I mean, I look at threat intelligence as, you know, my job to go out there and help people. And I think there's a quote, well, there is a quote from John F. Kennedy, which is one person, one person can change the world and everyone should try. And I think as women and everyone goes into threat intelligence, we all need to look at it as I've got to try to make a difference because we can't. Oh, I love that. That it is so true because you can get into security and and feel overwhelmed. What what can I possibly do? The fact of the matter is that that every one of us stands to make a, a beneficial difference, and and it is upon all of us to try. I I love that. Thank you for sharing that. 
You're very welcome. Thank you. And thank you so much for this opportunity. This has been delightful. I had a great time. You are very fun. And thank you so much. Well, thank you. I I love doing this. And my hope is that through these conversations, we can encourage more women and, and young women and girls to join our ranks in the field of security. So thank you so much for sharing your time and, and your expertise. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcasts at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.